This morning's scripture, Romans the 13th chapter, the first seven verses. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we come humbly into your presence this morning, a very eye-opening, appropriate passage for this time we find ourselves in. Father God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and mind, that he would convict us if we need convicting, and uplift us where we don't. But we pray through it all, Father, that my words be glorifying unto you, for it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So we come this week to the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. We finish the 12th chapter, I think the third week in November. So we are beginning this 13th chapter this morning. I believe it's an incredibly appropriate chapter for the days and times in which we live. And we can gain a lot as we look at this 13th chapter of the book of Romans. It is appropriate because I believe there is a strong undercurrent in our nation and among Christians not to be submissive or subjective to government in any way about anything. They ain't going to tell me what I can and can't do. And that undercurrent is alive and well, perhaps unlike any time that I've ever seen it in my 51, not yet, (laughs) not yet, 50 years of existence. And that feeling is on both sides of the political aisle. I will not be subjected to anyone. Nobody is the boss of me. We hear that from our children, right? But we never grow out of it. We say the same thing when we get to be an adult. It's just we seem to think that it's okay now. Because it's not mom and dad that we're dealing with. But I want to stress this isn't a new concept. This idea of resistance and refusal to submit is is as old as mankind. It started in the garden. Don't eat of that tree. And it has got way worse since then. It's the same idea. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this concept and 
exactly what the Word of God says about this whole notion that ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. And I use that horrible English on purpose for effect. Through the ages, there's always been distrust between the church and government and government and the church. And it continues to be to this day. For roughly 1,500 years after Christ, Christ, the church at Rome, or the church in Rome, as well as many governments, actually did not want people reading the book of Romans. It was too radical. And so you couldn't read Romans or Galatians. The average ordinary person, well, A, a lot of people couldn't read during that time. But B, it was not made available in anything except Greek. And Latin, which the church in Rome could speak. So they translated it to Latin. But they didn't want everyday ordinary common folk like us to be able to read these controversial books, such as Romans and Galatians. Because what may very well happen is there might be some sort of uprising. Something bad may happen. And they were concerned about that. In the 1500s, William Tyndale, anyone heard of William Tyndale? This Bible out there called the Tyndale Bible. William Tyndale was burned at the stake by Henry VIII. God love him. But he was burned at the stake for basically translating the Bible into English. He was one of the first to do that. And so he gave everybody the opportunity to open up, and this coincided with the time of the invention of the printing press, so you just had the perfect storm with an English translation, a way to reproduce it very quickly and in large numbers, and a lot of people were getting to read the Bible for the very first time. So there was a lot of things going on. But up until this time, the book of Romans was not taught to average ordinary people, nor did they have access to it. And so Tyndale, being a student of the Bible, he didn't believe that it should be the Pope's authority in Rome to exercise authority over the King of England, Henry VIII at the time. Henry VIII liked that because he didn't like being told what to do. And at that period, or at that time in the period of the church, the Pope had pretty much authority over the King of England. And so Henry VIII all of a sudden took a liking to young Tyndale and what he was doing and decided that he's a good man because he's telling him what he wants to hear, that I don't need the Pope telling me what to do. But clearly that didn't set well with the Catholics that were true to the Pope in England. But Tyndale's favor, you see, didn't last long. He was on the good side one moment and then the bad side the next. There was a woman called Queen Catherine. And Queen Catherine was Henry VIII's wife. And Henry VIII liked to trade wives quite often. He would either kill them or do something horrible to them. But you had Catherine and, and he wanted rid of her. And so his idea was to get an annulment. Well, he then listened to Tyndale and Tyndale says, Now, I can't, I can't condone that. I can't allow that to happen. So 
The Catholics saw that as a wonderful opportunity to jump back in there, even though the Pope didn't allow it ultimately either. But Tyndale was then blackballed, and Tyndale was ultimately killed and burned at the stake because of everything that he did, one of which being the translation of the Bible into English so that everybody else could read it and make up for their own minds and consciences what it, what it meant. And so that was the torch of the Reformation. And that's what changed everything, is everybody having the ability to truly sit down and read the Bible and understand for themselves what it said. And that's when it took off. So we find ourselves here this morning at a glorious time with a wonderful opportunity to be able to read this and see what it says. But we still have that rub, don't we? We still have that problem with government and authority and the Bible and scripture and being a Christian and how that all relates to each other if in fact it does but we've have that opportunity because of people and sacrifices that were made 600 years ago 500 and some years ago by people like Tyndale that we can look at the book of Romans in our own tongue in English and see what it says about Basically, the time we're living in today. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Who? Every person. Every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So as you see here, he tells us to let every person be subject to the governing authorities, and then he gives us the reasoning for it, and the reasoning for it is down here. Because... Or four, there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. I really hope that this passage will be eye-opening to us this morning. Okay? Because we like to throw out a lot of language about what God does and does not do. And who he sets forth in place and who he doesn't. Paul tells us something that's, quite frankly, astonishing to those that believe differently. You know, the biggest obstacle, I think, in Christianity, rabbit chasing a little bit, but not a lot, so allow me, please. The biggest obstacle I see in people's relationship with God is there is within every human being a desire to create an idea who they believe God should be, right? We all do it, but it is an extremely dangerous thing to do. We do it in our own lives to justify ourselves. We try to make a God that will say that everything that I do think, say, will be okay. Right? That's what we want to do. And we're born with that. And so we make a God in and of ourselves and put him in place and say, that's my God. My God understands me. And he's the one I worship because what I do is okay, right? And we make up this God and we do it whenever we're looking at things such as this as well. 
And we run the risk of that not being God at all. That's the danger in it. Is the God I've made up and conjured up in my own mind, is He real? Or is He just a figment or an idol that I have created? And the only way to determine what is correct and what is not is by His Word. And the Bible study tonight, that's a lot what it's about. That's why His Word is so very important. This is the real God. And if what I read in here does not reflect the God that's in here and in here, I don't know the real God. And so whenever we we conjure up a God that's okay with my whatever it is I do in life, and the Bible says that's not the case, I'm wrong, not the Bible. And we do that with respect to these types of situations that we're reading about here this morning as well. So Paul tells us that there is absolutely no authority that has ever existed, that ever has existed, ever exists now, or ever will exist, that has not been instituted by God. No authority. No government, ruler, entity, none of that. So from North City to Beijing to Moscow to Singapore to Baghdad to Seoul, you name it, they're there because God put them there. End of story. No equivocation. And you say, well, I exercise my right to vote. Yeah, you do. You do. Read the Bible and you're going to see God's providence working in and through people every single day. Read all about God's providence with respect to rulers. That is a weighty, dizzying passage that has remarkable implications, doesn't it? Remarkable implications. Because I'm sure that you've heard Christians say there is no way that God would put this person in office or this person in control of whatever. It's not right. It's just not right. So how did Paul get here? Did he just all of a sudden say, okay, chapter 13, we're going to jump in the middle of government and submission to government and we're going to deal with that? No, he didn't do that. He got here in a series that will make some logical sense. It's just not out of the blue, so to speak. He didn't just decide to be talking about it. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you read this in isolation... It seems to imply something, right? It seems to imply that your your anti-world, your your sort of anti-government, it's talking about a kingdom that is not of this world, this idea or notion that, hey, I'm going to set up my own sort of government that is outside and beyond the realms of what the government I find myself under. You can can get that idea. You, You can get that thought from this passage. I mean, as Christians, this passage seems to put us on a collision course with the government, does it not? And it can be read that way. 
Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you not think that ruffles some feathers? Right? I mean, here he comes, Caesar's in power, and Pilate and Herod and everybody else is ruling this place. And you've got a a man born in Bethlehem from Nazareth that said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. You remember Jesus' followers referred to him as their what? King. King. That's why Pilate put the sign up. King of the Jews, mocking, mocking Jesus. You remember that those who were responding to Pilate and part of their dig was, we have no king but Caesar, right? Those that wanted him crucified, we have no king but Caesar. So, so they wanted to create an issue that, that Jesus was going to take over Caesar's realm and he was going to be the ruler or the king. That's ultimately why Jesus was crucified, folks. I mean, it was a sedition or an overthrow, an insurrection type mentality. That's why the Romans crucified him. Because they feared that he would actually try to take over Rome. Instead of feeling threatened by Jesus, instead of being worried that he would take over, Pilate and Caesar and Herod, they should have worshipped him for giving them that authority. That's right. Because as he says, all authority has been given to him. We continue on. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or death. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor who? Rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christians are being killed all the day long by the swords from Romans 13, 4, of the rulers. And yet we have a situation where Paul's telling us to be submissive and in subjection to those rulers. How does that work? What gives? What are we to make of a very difficult passage? That we are not to disobey those who may kill us? What about those that are anti-Christian? Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So we have the judgment of God that will be incurred by those who resist. And then he starts talking about the rulers. They're not a terror. They're not in opposition 
to good conduct but to bad? Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. So what about those who do bad things to good conduct? Right? What about those? For these rulers are God's servants for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. It seems like the ruler that Paul's talking about here is a good ruler, right? He's a good and just ruler. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you pay taxes. So Paul's very generic until he gets to verse 6, and then, then he gets a little bit more specific. It's sort of reminiscent of Mark 12, 14, when Jesus told the Jewish leaders, render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render unto God what is, what is God's. So the question is, should we pay taxes to the government? Paul answers that. Probably not the answer anybody in here wants to hear, right? But he does answer that. But the next question is, should we pay taxes to an ungodly anti-Christian government. A government that is, we see as evil and that stands against Christ and everything that he stands for. The answer is pretty simple. All together now. Yes. 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 There are some obvious questions though that lingers in your mind and in my mind we're not going to take those up today sorry we're going to push those out because we're going to be here for a few weeks and we're going to deal with them what about those evil empires what about north korea and the people that are in north korea that give everything to I'm not going to call him the rocket man. I'm going to refrain. Yeah. What about those people? What are they supposed to do? What about us? That obviously pay taxes that go to bad things. What about rulers who are a terror for good conduct? And as I said, those are the questions that we will tackle in the weeks to come. This morning, I just want us to understand and look at this idea and notion that is God that's delegating authority to rulers here. Everyone. Nobody's excluded from that. Verse 7, pay all to what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Now you're saying, okay, I'll do the first, but the last two I'm out. Right? Because let me tell you, there is less of the last two in this country right now than I have ever seen in my 50 years. We'll give the money, and we're just giving the money because if we don't, we know we go to prison. But I don't have to be respectful, and I don't have to honor, and I'm not going to. Right? 
So as I said, I'm not so sure that this passage only reflects and deals and talks about good leaders. And I'll give you the reason why. So the king, 1 Kings 12, 15, so the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of affairs brought about by who? So it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke to Ajah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Jeroboam was one of the most evil and wicked kings in the history of, of Israel, ever. He was a horrific, terrible human being. But it was brought about by the Lord. Put him in power. Put him in that place. The Lord did it. No one else did. Jeremiah 27, 6. Now I have given you all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. My what? My servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. We know that Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan, ungodly, Babylonian king, and he destroyed Jerusalem, annihilated it. Yet what does God call him? His servant. His servant. John 19, 10 and 11. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He's talking to Jesus. And oh, the answer. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. God put Pilate in the position of authority that he was. God ordained that before the foundation of the world that Pilate would be in that position and end up crucifying his own son. We must understand that man did not create civil government. Man did not create government. God did. Now, civil governments will do bad things to good people. They will take your money. They will tax you. Some will even take your life and kill you. And may even kill Christians. But yet we are told that our lifestyle should be merciful and not vengeful. Merciful and not vengeful. It's a hard one, isn't it? Difficult one. Especially, mm, especially for us free Americans. We submit to civil government not out of respect and reverence. Siri, Siri, Siri. Let me repeat that. We submit to civil government, not out of respect and reverence for the person, but we submit to civil government out of respect and reverence to God. End of story. Because through God, that authority lies. God is the one that puts whoever it is, wherever it is. And when we disrespect whoever that may be, we are disrespecting God. 
Mm, that just hurt, didn't it? Yeah, that hurt. That is the reality and how it flows, and that's why Paul's saying what he's saying. The person doesn't have final authority. God does. God is the one with the final authority. God put Pilate in a position to kill his own son. And we get all bent out of shape over nothing in the overall scheme of things. First Peter 2.3 Be subject for who? The Lord's sake. Not the president's sake or the senator's sake or the judge's sake or whatever it is. We're not being respectable, respectful for them. We're being respectful for God because it is His authority that is flowing through them. And we'll talk about the evil ones as we go through. And as I close, I do want to say this about every governing authority must keep some sort of order. That's just the reality of it. If a governing authority, Saddam Hussein, okay, I think everybody in here could agree that he was a tyrant. But he still had to keep some sort of order. And he still protected some people. There was a sense of order and security. And one of the biggest fears was whenever he was killed is that will create a vacuum where there is no government. And if you want to see chaos and evil and everything else go like mad, put people in a vacuum where there is no government. Because then everything is stolen from everyone. Women are raped, children are killed, chaos reigns from on high. That's why government authorities are from God it protects us it protects us so those that walk around talking about an insurrection or an overthrow whoa wait I'm not sure what you're thinking about you got to understand that we all got it pretty good right I can go home at night matter of fact I'm not even worried about locking my doors my wife makes us lock the doors But we live in a pretty good world. If you want to see that go down the tubes, then do whatever you want to because it will. Go to Mexico where the drug cartels overwhelm the government. People die all the time. There is no security. There is is nothing good in a lot of those towns and cities because they're run by gangs. You can't call 911 because it doesn't exist. So, even though we may not agree about everything that goes on, we need to pipe it down just a little bit and realize that we got it pretty good, right? I'm fixing to go home and eat and not worry about anybody coming in my house and and killing me. It's not the worst place in the world to live. Could it be better? Sure it could. Could it be a whole lot worse? You better believe it could. But remember... It's built and instituted by God. So the respect and the reverence into the president, into whoever your favorite politician is, 
the respect and reverence that we owe because of the government is for God. So if we keep that in mind, we'll be a lot less likely to call names, right? Disagree all you want. That's fine. You don't have to agree with anything. But the respect and reverence and submission is what we should do and what we're called to do as Christians. Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for these very appropriate words that you give to Paul 2,000 years ago, how they ring true for us this morning in this sanctuary. And Father, they're hard for us to understand. We know that, that people are killed, people are abused, people are taken advantage of by so many governments all over this world. And it's very hard for us to wrap our minds around that. And Father, this is just the first study of this passage, and Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would would keep our hearts and minds open as we dig deeper into what you're saying and what you want from us, but help us to put it to action in our own lives. Let us not just ignore it. Let us give deference, reverence, respect, and honor to whom it is deserved, and that would be to you, Father. We thank you for all your blessings, and may you be glorified. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All rise.